0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. For businesses across the country, it was the day they'd all been waiting for. But when it came, freedom was surprisingly restrictive.
1: All legal restrictions in England lifted so-called Freedom Day. Now, emergency measures with more than 618,000 people in self-isolation.
0: The so-called ping has paralysed businesses, public services, and even the Cabinet. But was it an inevitable side effect of lifting restrictions and letting the virus spread? Covid cases have been rising in almost every region of England. One in 75 people now have the virus. As the world watches, will Britain's decision to lift restrictions help or hinder business? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the ping-demic and the great British experiment. Business
2: had started to struggle
0: even before the first lockdown. Helen Herity is the owner of the Grays Court Hotel in York, which she opened in 2011. The first two people with COVID were actually found in a city centre hotel in York. Her business was one of the first to be affected when the pandemic struck Britain. People were cancelling, really scared.
2: My biggest concern was what on earth do I do with the staff? There was no way that I could have carried with the level of trading and paid them at the same time. So furlough, when it was announced, was a huge relief.
0: Helen reopened the hotel last summer struggled through the tier system and then was hit by the winter lockdown. They reopened again this spring. We reopened the hotel and we've been very, very busy.
2: It's been lovely. The restaurant has been full every night. People were so relieved and so happy to be able to come out and to all of the things that they had been delaying.
0: I mean, that must be a huge relief.
2: It was. But at the beginning of July, we realised that the app was going to cause significant issues to our business.
0: Helen is one of hundreds of thousands of businesses around the country that have had staff pinged. To try to gauge the national impact of the alerts, I spoke to one of our reporters.
3: Sabah Meddings, I'm a business reporter on the Sunday Times team. A
0: few weeks ago, there was this sense that finally restrictions were lifting, things were going to get so much better for the businesses who've really struggled during the pandemic. And yet that's not quite what happened. We've ended up with what... You know, the headlines are calling the ping Talk me through that. Just how bad did things get for businesses?
3: Really serious. So in lots of cases, businesses We're having to close sites. So if you look at the hospitality sector in particular, staff were getting pinged, whether or not it's because they've been in contact with a customer who tested positive or someone else on the team or from socialising outside as well. They were getting pinged by the app and having to call in sick for 10 days, which meant that pubs, restaurants, bars were having to close, shift staff around where they could reduce opening hours if they had to. If you look at the manufacturing sector, it's even worse. I spoke to a poultry producer last week they had to reduce production by 20% which meant customers were disappointed potentially shortages in um, local butchers and that was because so many of their staff had been told to isolate by the app and couldn't come in so it's it's really serious
2: the weekend of the second and third of july we'd lost six staff over two days that's helen herity again we had no option but to cease all daytime operations and run the hotel on a bed and breakfast basis. When we did the figures afterwards, putting everything together, the room cancellations, the daytime, the bar, we'd lost about £40,000 over a 10-day period.
0: I mean, Helen, it's clearly been a really tough year for you. Would you say this latest period in the last couple of weeks, has this period been harder to manage than even the lockdowns? It has, yes. Yes. We can't plan from day to day. We don't know who's
2: going to counsel and when. We have got one staff member who's now isolating because his partner has COVID, so obviously he can't come in. And of course, there is this ever-present anxiety that at any given point, somebody could receive a ping and be told to isolate.
0: I mean, what are you doing? What are you saying to your staff? Have you advised them to ignore the the pings or to to even, and I know I've heard, you know, anecdotally, we hear of lots of people across the country doing this, but to even uninstall the app. I think that probably is happening.
2: I haven't asked anybody to do that. I know of businesses who are planning to circumvent the app.
0: Some of the businesses Sabah has been talking to have been finding ways of dealing with the possibility of staff being pinged.
3: I spoke to a really small theatre in Hastings called The Stables which was only putting on single person performances to prevent mass cancellations so an audience would shuffle in and see a single act um, of one person and that's to prevent COVID cases in amongst casts that we've seen with some of the bigger productions lots of businesses are encouraging people to work in bubbles so if you're a large restaurant or a factory you might decide that you want to have people in A team and B teams or blue team and green team when you're kind of keeping people separate so if someone gets pinged in one part of the business. They're not going to force people elsewhere to self-isolate.
0: So one team would go off, but not the whole staff.
3: Exactly. So lots of different ways that businesses have been trying, at least to sort of keep people apart, to limit the impact of a call to self-isolate.
0: And when you're speaking to business owners who are suffering like this, had they expected it? Did they anticipate that once things opened up, people would be coming into contact with more people who have been infected and it would actually end up affecting their business?
3: I think it really caught people by surprise. And all of a sudden, every business from Iceland, Richard Walker, talking about problems. We need food store workers to be omitted from the list immediately. Our staff absences are now growing at 50% week on week, and it's a
0: serious problem for business.
3: Tim Martin from Weatherspoons is telling us on Friday that the apps laid waste to the workforce. So it sort of did escalate very, very quickly. And what about public services? You know, we were hearing about
0: The army and policemen having similar problems with being pinged, how has it affected the state? So in the
3: last few days, the government has released a list of sectors that can avoid quarantine as part of a pilot scheme. So that's anyone working in prisons, defence, communications, space, um, fishing and HMRC. Last week, they said anyone in frontline roles such as the police, fire and border force, that's moving to a daily lateral flow test instead of having to self-isolate. Emergency service workers and critical staff, haulage, transport and freight were already able to be exempt. But that was only if their employer had specified their names and and that they were double-jack. So there has been efforts to ease the burden because it was getting to the point where basic services were in danger of being unable to be fulfilled. You might have seen sort of bins not being collected and the fire and the the police mean that would have been really, really serious
0: those moves by the government will help the state to run more efficiently. But how has that gone down with businesses who are still having to let people isolate if they're pinged?
3: Firstly, even these relaxations have not been as well received as hoped, because lots of businesses are reporting there's a real lot of red tape to get through to register staff that are exempt. It's sort of taking time. They've got to set up these testing centres. I think they want to aim for 500 by the end of this week and there's only a handful so far. So it's not really relieved the pressure immediately. It's going to take some time.
0: Does it put more pressure on employees not to kick up a fuss if they have been pinged?
3: And that's a tricky one. Certainly the people I've been speaking to would say we are supporting any staff that would wish to self-isolate. Whether that's the picture on the ground in the business, I'm not sure. It's
2: very difficult as an employer to tell your staff member, oh, it's okay, you can, you can just ignore that and come to work as normal. They're anxious. The message you have to isolate is quite clear. And it, it does put an employer in a difficult position.
0: Helen, what are your best hopes for the future for how things might improve and how, how business would get back onto an even keel?
2: Our best hope is that there is an urgent review of the app and the impact it is having. Along the lines of, you know, change the message, allow people to test and to release them if they're negative. We would like to think there would be some financial support, but I doubt that will be forthcoming. We've all been through so much, and I think just to survive was an achievement. And now, at the very last hurdle, we are at risk of stumbling. And I think there will be some businesses for whom this will just be too much. We'll just uh, continue to do what we can. I mean, it's in the lap of the gods at the moment.
0: As businesses, employers and employees try to cope with the effects on the ground, what do we know about how Britain is coping with a pandemic?
1: I'm Ben Spencer, science editor of the Sunday Times.
0: Ben, ever since all the restrictions were lifted, we've suddenly been faced with what headline writers are calling a ping Was this always to be expected?
1: Modelers have always said there would be an exit wave. I mean, an exit wave is actually quite an optimistic term as it suggests it's the final wave. But yeah, as soon as restrictions were lifted, rates were always going to increase.
0: And there's been a lot of distraction almost. There's been lots of questions about the app and whether it's too sensitive, but it is basically doing what it was designed to do, isn't it?
1: That's right. You've got to bear in mind that there's a lot of COVID around. The app is designed to alert people when they've been exposed to it. The question is, is it proportionate to get people to self-isolate once they've been vaccinated? Because the app was designed as a safety net. Last summer, we didn't have any vaccines. Testing was there, but not great. But we're now in a different world. Nearly 90% of Britain's adult population has now been vaccinated at least once, more than 70% twice.
0: So if you've been vaccinated and you've been pinged, should you isolate?
1: At the moment, the advice is that you should. Bear in mind, though, that that isn't for much longer, from August the 16th. If you've been double vaccinated, the choice will be different. You'll be presented with the option of taking a test and carrying on. So it's not for much longer. But it's certainly wreaking havoc at the moment because a lot of people have been self isolating in recent weeks.
0: Coming up what the rising numbers mean for the great reopening.
1: Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
2: Top U.S. infectious diseases expert in the U.S., Dr. Anthony Fauci, has warned that the country is heading in the wrong direction as cases fueled by the Delta variant surge amongst the unvaccinated.
0: If you look at the foreign press, this is being called the Great British Experiment. You know, we've opened up, we've had the initial, as you called it, the exit wave. We've had all these pings, people being told to self-isolate because there's so much of the virus suddenly running through the system. Talk us through where we are.
1: This sudden drop in confirmed cases, it's dropped something like 30% in two days, which is pretty much unheard of in pandemics. Is the third wave already in retreat? Daily cases falling for the last six days. There is a bit of a health warning on the numbers, though. It looks a bit fishy. It looks as if there's some other explanation for this other than suddenly the virus has, has given up. Scientists are quite perplexed as to why that is. I mean, is it because of the weather? Is it because the schools have closed? But certainly after weeks of actually quite frightening numbers in some cases, we got up to nearly 50,000 cases a day, but they have started quite sharply actually coming down and it has massively divided scientists.
0: What are their concerns and what are their hopes?
1: So at the, let's start with the gloomiest picture. Those who are worried about this think that we are easing restrictions at a time when cases are high, even though a lot of people have been vaccinated, the vaccines are not perfect. A small percentage of a large number is still a large number. So that will make a lot of people ill. This would place a big strain on the NHS. And then there's the concern about things like long COVID of which we don't know much. We don't really know how many people get it. We don't know which kinds of people get it. And we don't know what the very long term effects are. So the concern was that if we let the virus rip, as it were, then we might actually be creating kind of a ticking time bomb of long COVID problems for the future. Now that's the gloomiest picture. The most optimistic picture is. We've done pretty much all we can with the vaccines. The elderly and the vulnerable have all been vaccinated. Everyone who wants a vaccine pretty much has probably had it. Uptake is slowing. There's a few people who you can target. But when all that's been done, how many more people are we going to persuade? So what more can you do? Well, we could continue with restrictions. How long would we have to continue it? we'd probably have to go right through to next April, realistically, because if we waited until September, you'd be coinciding with schools going back and potentially worse weather. But how many people have actually died after being double vaccinated? Maybe 300. Only about four are under the age of 50. Looking at it from an optimistic point of view, is this a virus we need to keep restrictions in place for, or is this a virus that we should start treating as we do things like flu?
0: And you mentioned scientists are still scratching their heads at how the infection rate is falling, which is surprising, but we don't know if that's maybe down to how much people are testing rather than how much people are getting the virus. Are we seeing much change in the hospitalizations and the deaths?
1: I mean, the problem with deaths and hospitalizations is there's a lag. Maybe in a week's time, we'll have a much better sense of what's happening. But we've now got a very complex situation where some people are vaccinated, but not everyone. Some people are going back to work, but not everyone. Some people are very cautious, but not everyone is. The euros, for example, people think that actually has had a big impact on the numbers. The Scottish epidemic started going down much earlier than the English, which epidemiologists think is because Scotland went out of the Euros earlier. Ah. Men at the moment are infected more than women, which they think is also because people are either going to football matches or going to the pub to watch it. I mean,
0: women were definitely doing that too, but
1: I understand <laughs> yes, there's be a disparity of, in numbers. <laughs> of course, of course. But yeah, one theory is that even though restrictions ended on July 19th, people remained very cautious. Not because they were worried about getting the virus, but because they were actually worried about the pandemic. Stayed at home, didn't go to work. We've even got stories of people keeping their kids at home for the last week of the school term because they were so worried about having holidays disrupted or weddings disrupted. Mm. So human behavior massively impacts the virus. You know, there's an idea that if we are actually concerned about the course of the virus, we're probably going to see numbers go down. If we're optimistic, we'll probably see numbers go up because people behave yeah. based on their assumptions. And if people, you know, you mentioned
0: the pandemic, if people are increasingly deleting the app or ignoring it if they are pinged, Is that basically going to encourage us to move towards a model of herd immunity, of of letting
1: the virus go and just living with it? Where does this phrase actually come from? It actually comes from things like measles, where we have a very, very infectious disease, but the vaccine basically gives you lifelong immunity. We're not going to have that kind of herd immunity for COVID. Over the next few years, we'll probably all get COVID. We'll probably all get a very mild case though. So this herd immunity that we're going into, and we probably are pretty close to it now, isn't a herd immunity that is going to completely see off COVID. It's a herd immunity which will see off hospitalisation and deaths, but not completely. Do you mentioned that
0: vaccines, the immunity that they give you doesn't last forever. Do we have a sense yet of how long it does last? How soon will we need boosters for it to still be effective?
1: Early signs are that immunity, particularly amongst the elderly, does drop off in about six months or so. Amongst younger people, it will probably last much longer. But it's also about different types of immunity. There's different types of antibodies, what immunologists call T-cells. And it's not clear at the moment how these different types of immunity drop off. And there's also different types of the virus we're immune to. Someone who was infected in March 2020 was infected with the Wuhan virus. Someone who's infected in July 2021 is infected with the Delta virus. That's not to say that someone infected last year has no protection against Delta, but it will probably be a lower protection than someone who's infected right now. Now, what scientists currently think is you will probably need annual boosters for the elderly, for people who are immunocompromised. But for younger people, immunity is likely to last a long time. There's these fascinating cases in the 2009 swine flu epidemic, H1N1, which ripped across the world. People in their 80s and 90s, didn't actually have very high levels of mortality. And when scientists look back at it, they found that those people were protected by the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. Oh, wow. So immunity is very complex. Millions and millions of people have been exposed to the virus naturally or by vaccination. So in the future, we're not going to have the same levels of deaths, devastation, chaos. Now, that's not to say there are not going to be new variants, but virologists are increasingly confident that we've seen the worst of it and actually probably Delta is as bad as it's going to get. Is
0: there a danger that because we've opened up everything at once, does that lead to more chance of there being variants coming out of this country?
1: I mean, that's certainly a worry the most dangerous time is where you have a large section of the population that's vaccinated and then also a large population who aren't because there's an evolutionary pressure for the virus to escape the immunity. And then there's a large reservoir of people who are not immune for it to jump into. Mm. Now, the more people we vaccinate, the smaller that reservoir becomes. And that's why there was a lot of pressure for Scientists to think about vaccinating children because those children are that reservoir. Now, the government's scientific advisors have decided not to vaccinate children. So that reservoir remains in this country. But we also know that the escape variants, the mutations which are best able to escape immunity, haven't actually taken off in large numbers. The mutations which have actually been better at transmitting rather than escaping immunity, seem to have done better. So there's some grounds for optimism that actually the variants are probably as bad as it's going to get. Now, COVID has surprised us again and again. That might not be the last word on the matter. But certainly at the moment, the virologists I'm speaking to are cautiously hopeful.
0: From all the virologists you're talking to, is there a sense that we are more or less at the end of of the COVID pandemic for this country?
1: The virus is certainly not going away. As I said, you know, COVID will be with us probably for the rest of our lives, but it will look very different. This winter will be telling because we will probably have more flu around, more viruses like norovirus, RSV, which we've already seen going up because we didn't get them last year. We might see more strongly worded recommendations about mask wearing. About social distancing. But I think legal restrictions will be very difficult for the government to bring back in, and I don't think they will do it.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Sunday Times senior business reporter Sabar Meddings, science editor Ben Spencer, and business owner Helen Herity. You can read more of Sabar and Ben's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Edward Drummond and James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend.